Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everyone to the Survivor Series. Sorry for that, I've got something in my throat. Uh, thank you. Welcome everybody to Wrestling Mixtape Episode 2, Survivor Series Edition, where we, as a panel, pick a match each from a particular theme or a particular time period, and we all examine it and try and see which is the which is the best to break it all down. Uh, last time we were just having a bit of a free-for-all, but now we're back to having a regular theme for this show, which is what we're planning on doing going forward, and Given it's only a few weeks away, we've got a Survivor Series-themed edition of the show where everybody's picked a Survivor Series match. Not a traditional Survivor Series match, only one of us has picked that. And we're going to go through them all. Uh, but I am stepping in the hosting chair for the day, Scott McLeod. And let me introduce you to the usual panel for Wrestling Mixtape. First off, you know... We all like a good drink. We all like a good old-fashioned Donny Brick. And nothing is going to stop this man from going out with, for, with some drink for the lads. Not even having to do his big shop, which is what happened last a few weeks ago. Hello, Dave. All right, Scott. How are you doing? <laughs> and you know, at least at least one of us here knows how to drink beer, even if I do mix it with uh, half a pint of lemonade. But beer's a beer. <laughs> Wait, I know, what? I know, you, I, know, you, I know how you drink beer, Dave. I just choose not to because I prefer a cider. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, for our uh, other panelists, it's uh, half a lager, half lemonade is known as a lager shandy. It's uh, really, really nice. I have to write that down. <laughs> and Chris, legit, Dave, I think, forgot we were all meeting in town that day. And Stephen, he t- Stephen texts him, where are you? Are you coming? He said, coming where? Like, we're all meeting in this beer house. All right, I'm just doing my big shop and I'll be there later. <laughs> It's not that I didn't know about the plan. I was kicked out of the chat, so I lost track of all the bloody arrangements. Yeah, the football. Yeah, the ESSR football chat, which I'm also not in because I couldn't give a shit about it. But even I knew about it. But you got kicked out, as they said, because you made Gary feel uncomfortable because you don't interact enough. The cardinal sin making Gary Cairn him uncomfortable. David. David Campbell would hunt you down for that. I believe the reason was that concerns were raised, yet nobody seems to have addressed what those concerns were. Anyway, it's good. we're getting a bit too fair, so I just wanted to make fun of you for the big shop joke. Anyway. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. And our other uh, panellist here on the Wrestling Mixtape, you may remember him from the last episode and from the recent uh, quiz show in Star Wars edition, where in both of those he played the aptly titled Sir Not Appearing on these shows. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Chris Anthony Lopez, how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. I'm here. I'm present. I'm awake. Um, that's that's the that's the thing because you know there's a big time difference between all of y'all and all of me. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it's things get a little weird sometimes. And I'm here. I'm here um, figuring out what uh, locker shandies are, and <laughs> I I'm here to talk about some Survivor series. See, don't say you don't learn anything every time you appear on this show. You learn, you go away with some new knowledge. Here, so sorry, really, that's the important thing. Damn right. <laughs> but today, the the title of Sir not appearing on the show goes to Stephen Wilson, who's apparently got better things to do. Well, it's his fault. <laughs> if you don't like me as the host of this show, well, blame him because I'm having to fill his freakishly small shoes. 
And <laughs> I was planning on starting with Stevens anyway, but we decided for this edition we're going to go in chronological order of when these matches happened, which either way means we start with Stevens because, you know, his is from a little known Survivor Series. You know, nothing really happens on that show. Even not this match, particularly, nothing really spectacular happens. It's, uh, what it checks notes. Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart from Survivor Series 1997. Now, of course, when everybody thinks about this match, you think of the finish and the controversy and all the fallout and backstage stuff. So let's try and look at it as an actual match for, for a little bit. Uh, Dave, I know everybody in their granny knows about the, the screw job, but how often have you actually seen this match, you know, and full, you know, belly bell before we had to watch it for this show. Literally, this was my second time watching this match from from bell to bell. But then again, bell to bell didn't actually start until about ten minutes after the guys made their entrances, which I actually forgot about because I mean the match itself lasted a, a solid twenty minutes, but the um the animosity just boiled over right off from the get go. That you know they basically had a brawl outside the ring up the ramp. Uh, through the crowd and you know there was referees officials Vince came out at one point you know Patterson and Briscoe were there uh, and just every referee I think was available so I think it just highlighted the the animosity between John Michaels and Bret Hart for this particular this particular clash. For me personally this was actually my first time I think watching this belt to bell because I'd kind of avoided you know, I've tried to avoid in the times I've been doing podcasts and talking about the screwdriver because I don't think I have anything new to add that anyone else hasn't said. But Chris, what about you? Where, how many times did you really see this match? You know, the full version, not just the screwdriver, before watching it for this. As of this recording, I watched the Montreal Screwjob a whopping one time, and <laughs> it was for this show. And like you, Scott, like I heard about it a thousand times. Every if you like professional wrestling, if you love professional wrestling, you know about the Montreal screw job. Like everybody knows it changed it, it, it changed a lot of shit within the, the WWF at the time and the landscape of professional wrestling. And uh, this match, I'd seen the finish a ton, but I didn't know the context around all of it. And after watching and, and which we're about to get into, um I was very not entertained up until the, the finish of the match. Yeah, because I think, personally, it's fair to say for me that I think the most interesting things about this match are the stuff that isn't officially a part of the match itself other than the finish because, you know, the, the brawl and the most exciting parts of that, you know, technically they say the match hasn't started and so they're knocking down referees. Sean's getting choked with the Quebec flag and everything. And like you said, all the officials are out there. And then, uh, let's say, with the finish, you know, everything into the bed is like, is Brett going apeshit, spitting at Vince, throwing monitors around. And also all the stories about backstage of it when he, when he sucker punches Vince because he tells Vince, if you don't leave the dressing room by the time I'm changed, I'm punching you in the face. And then he was like, he's killed my love. I've got to have, to, I've got to do it. And he does punch him in the face. Uh, but, but Dave, I think watching the actual match, you know, up until the sharpshooter spot, the it's it's, a, it's kind of a more intense version of what you'd expect a Shawn Michaels Brett match to be because obviously they had the match at WrestleMania 12. Mm-hmm. It was the, the Iron Man match and everything. They were building. They wanted to have this rematch far sooner, but I think a lot had to do with the animosity. It was starting to build between the two that they couldn't get it 
done because neither of them wanted to lose. So it does feel like the actual between the brawling and the the screw job, the actual spots do feel like basically kind of like it feels like the technical spots you'd see in like the Iron Man match, just a more intense version because now they kind of they properly hate each other because you've got like the the figure four spot in the post, for example. Yeah, like there was a lot of action on the outside. You know, it wasn't very much like a a best of who is better in ring from a technical standpoint, it definitely felt more like a brawl, especially with the interactions on the outside. You know, there was quite a few barricade spots, you know, and it was a, the crowd definitely was a factor in here because it was a rabid crowd in, in Montreal. And they, if you know anything about Montreal as a, as a wrestling crowd, they're pretty hardcore. You know, they fit in, fit in lines with like Chicago and Philadelphia and maybe like Brooklyn as well. Like just to name a few, but yeah, as you mentioned, you know, there were some really great spots, such as the figure four around the post, the the choking with the flag. Uh, and I think, but I think the most, the, the spots that really had me on edge a little bit was when some of the earlier ones where they were both in the crowd and the fans were practically all over them, you know, like jumping in on them a little bit. And I think JR and King mentioned it on commentary as well. It was like, uh, like 20,000 against one, for example, because these people will fight for Bret Hart to win this match mm-hmm. at any cost. It was, uh, so I think there was the, the added element of the crowd and I think the, um, the crowd participation definitely contributed to the, uh, the animosity a little bit as well. The crazy yeah. thing about that crowd too, like if say, for example, that exact situation happened now in professional wrestling, the crowd would have been 10 times more animated because of what was going on, because of how in the know we all are compared mm-hmm. to what it was in 97. Cause like this, it was talked about for decades who was in on it, who, uh, who didn't know it was going to happen. JR kept asking what was happening and what happened um, after the bell rang. Like, so there was, there's a ton of confusion uh, whether it was faked or not. And the crowd, they were like, OMG, Bret Hart lost. He tapped out. When like some people in the front row were like, um, excuse me? Like, what 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 the hell's going on here? Like, if that happened now, I think like arenas would be flipped over because of how intense wrestling fans are. And especially like Montreal, again, to David's point, where it's all like super mega marks. We all love Bret Hart and then this happens it just felt weird like i i I told you before we started recording i took down a bunch of notes and i wrote down this shit is so weird it just (laughs) it felt weird the entire time i was watching it because again i didn't i hadn't seen this before i i'd seen the finish a ton but i'd never seen the actual match and the brawl beforehand and it just felt off. And again, maybe because I didn't watch the entire build. I didn't watch all the episodes of Raw going into this. But again, it just felt off. Something felt weird. And maybe it's because I knew how it was going to end. But it, this whole situation, the whole vibe was put off. And I, maybe that's why I, I look so down at the match. Because I know Brett and Sean have done better things before. But this just felt super off and weird and brett and not brett but sean came out with like a ponytail but his ponytail was braided and at that point brett should have known something was wrong because this was (laughs) ultimate scumbag sean michaels 
<laughs> like he was the worst person on earth. And the second I saw that braided ponytail, I'm like, oh my god, Fred should have known that something crazy was gonna happen. Oh, I mean, desecrated the Canadian flag as well, you know, just like right. The 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 towel dry with it, wiping his nose on it, and he was humping it. it. Yeah. That, <laughs> uh, do you remember last time a WWE superstar desecrated a flag? They ended up getting suspended for it and almost thrown in, in jail as a result. I think it was Chris Jericho during a live show yeah. in Brazil back in 2016. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it was like, pretty wild. I want to say I remember his, that, too. I think that's as far back as 2012. Like, he was just back at the time. I think he was maybe doing something with Orton. And oh, then no, you're right. Suspended. Yeah, it was the year that Cena won money in the bank. That was 2012, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, he had yeah. to immediately get on the microphone and say sorry despite being a heel to avoid <laughs> getting arrested. Jesus oh, Christ. That's... Can you imagine if that was the case, you know, in... if, it, if that was the case back then, you know, like, I, can't, I don't know who the Canadian Prime Minister was back then, but can you imagine them just being on the phone to Vince and being like, listen, you can't have your top guy, you know, Towel drag our flag and you know essentially desecrating it. It was a uh, pretty pretty edgy mm. stuff because this was right on the cusp of the Attitude Era as well. Like, yeah. and if you'd seen some of the signs that the crowd were holding up, you know, some of that stuff wouldn't even make it past the front door in this day and age. Because oh my god, you know, there was, <laughs> yeah, a, lot, there, like, there was a lot of derogatory words and stuff on it. Yeah, because there were there were some young fans lately getting picked up by the by the cameras, making shouting, saying Sean is gay during this match as they were doing the brawl but then there were people with signs of similar sentiments just they were using much harsher language that we shouldn't say right now and mm. you could also tell there's some very early internet smarts in the crowd because someone in the upper deck on the hard cam has a sign that says good luck in wcw brett so some people <laughs> knew that he was going but as chris was saying about what happened what happened now there's like a mixture of anger and confusion when the match ends the way it does but that was nowadays. I think I say within an hour, you'd have somebody reporting about what went down, like Fightful or Meltzer. Somebody would have been tweeting, and everyone would still be talking about it. But mm. I think a lot of the details would have quickly came out. You know, we'd wake up the next day, like the same way we everybody found out about the fight backstage at All Out. We'd wake up the next day and go, right. "Oh, apparently Vince punched. Apparently Vince got punched by Bret Hart after the show." Yeah, yeah, and that I'm so glad you mentioned the. Uh the the brawl out stuff like that <laughs> like that happened so quickly right like mm-hmm. main event happened uh the presser happened and then we we get sweets like oh my god the elite and CM Punk on the fight whatever whatever like the Montreal screw job was I and correct me if I'm wrong but that was like the first show of hey like some crazy shit happened behind the scenes at a wrestling show and people are leaving their jobs, they're quitting, they're jumping companies. And like, it was this whole kerfuffle that, that lasted forever. When, when Brett get cool with WWE, what? 2007, 2006? Like it's in that 2010, I think it was. Is that when he just showed? He was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2006, but he didn't make a a proper return to WTV since 2010. Right. So it took them almost a decade to get past it, to bury the hatchet. And even then, when he came back on the TV in 2010 and the whole bad angle with Vince, but that's not what we're here to talk about. But like, (laughs) it took them 
more than 10 years to talk about it. And even during that whole build to WrestleMania 26, they were still talking about it. Granted, now with the element of kayfabe in their corner, but it was so gross. And it, even when it when it happened, like at the show, Earl Hebner is like, yo, ring the bell, Brett tapped. And you could just see the look on Brett's face like, oh my God, they really just screwed me over. <laughs> he was just like, the fuck? He immediately, right. immediately stands right back up. Both and... guys no-sell everything that just happened in the match. Both of them do. Both Sean like, and Brett. Sean, I think for a few years at least after this, pretended he didn't know. And I think it was like an interview while he did while he was in his kind of retirement before I think he's come back in 02. Uh, basically admitted, yeah I, yeah, I knew about it. But you see him afterwards acting all angry, like, God damn it, and grabbing the belt and walking away. And you see that there's a clip from the, the Bret Hart documentary they're filming at that time, Wrestling with Shadows, where you see Brett asking Sean, like, did you know about it? Like, I swear to God, I didn't know. And also Earl Hebner, I don't know if you know this, legs it immediately, rings the bell, looks around, dives out the ring, and runs to the car where, if you believe the story, his brother Dave had the car running. <laughs> Yo, like, no one was safe from Bret Hart. Like, yeah, he, because even when, like, the, the sharpshooter happened and Hebner rings the bell, both, like, Sean just falls forward and Brett is still like under him, like his leg. There's like, their legs are still intertwined together. So there's that awkward moment where it's like, I need to get the hell out of here, but Brett won't let me go, <laughs> and he has to get the hell out of the ring. And you know, sells for a second, gets the belt, yay, I won. Triple H comes out, and he's like, Yeah, yeah dog, we gotta go. <laughs> like this was, it was so intense. I would have loved to be like a fly on the wall for any, any and all of this, you know, like I, I want to know what happened with Brett left the arena that day. I want to know the first phone call he had, um, like how quick he was to talk to the folks at WCW. If he already wasn't doing so, you know, about all this bullshit, like this match was not great. It was fine. The match itself yeah. and the brawl was fun before that, but we can't, and I know Scott, you, you said we, we weren't going to try and talk about the, the big stuff, but <laughs> this was the crux of of this match. Like, if we if this didn't happen, you know, it's probably still a decent match, and it's just another feather in the cap for both of those guys. But this, the Montreal screw job, this whole event, like it it changed the course of every person involved's careers because it, it followed that shadow followed them forever. And even though Sean would like later retire, he'd come back and all it'd still be lingering in the back of people's brains that like, yo, Hey, we haven't forgot, especially when Sean would go back to Canada and do Montreal shows. Like folks mm -hmm. never forgot. Folks still can't forget. Obviously here we are. So talking about it years and years later. Yeah. He got boots like for a year. after, like, Backlash show for the rematch from the WrestleMania 20 uh, triple threat. Sean's a face going into that because it's in Canada. He gets booed out of the building. He gets beaten in that match with a sharpshooter to a loud pop. And then you remember a year later in his brief heel run against Hogan, he cuts the infamous Who's Your Daddy Montreal promo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, listen, see when they played Bret Hart's music during that promo, I popped like mental because I was watching <laughs> live on. Uh, 
I think I taped it on Sky Sports or something, watched it the day after. And I knew of Bret Hart's music when just from playing SmackDown versus Raw, the video game. And as soon as I heard it in that program, I think, oh my God, he's actually here. <laughs> like, I mean, it's uh, it's one of the biggest swerves in WWE, WWF history. Like mm-hmm. that moment, and Sean sells it like a champ. And he's like, oh my God, jaw drops. He's all like stunned and the crowd loses their minds. And then he smirks and starts laughing at everybody in the room because they just played the hell out of the entire arena just to rib it even further. Like, oh yeah, the shit that happened years ago. Oh yeah, I'm still the, I'm still the guy here. <laughs> like I'm still yeah. the real winner at, after all of this. It's, it was, God, that's such a great moment. Like, I know it came, it came out of this horrible situation, but that moment is incredible. Like, I hope, I want AEW to do something like that with Punk. <laughs> like, that would be so funny. Imagine if they just played Triple H's music or something just to mess with <laughs> oh. I Just play some, some Motorhead of any kind. It doesn't <laughs> even have to be <laughs> Triple H's stuff. Yo, K- people K- lose their shit. Yeah, God hey. damn. It's like you talk about how this match is fine, but like going into it, you know the it's one of the most famous match endings in wrestling history, if not the most famous. I want to do a little test. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. You may already know, but just don't be googling. Can you name me one other match from this show? Uh oh yeah yes yeah. um Team Canada versus Team USA. Wow, oh, yeah, I that. was I was going to say that. I was going to say uh, Austin Hart. Owen Hart. Yeah. Yeah, I know those two. The rest of it, you know, nobody talks about the fact Kane had his first singles match on this show, Battering Mankind. There was a bunch <laughs> of other, there, was a, there was a couple of other Celebration of Survivor Series matches that no one talks about. I'm sure the outlaw, the, new, the newly formed New Age Outlaws were on were on this show, but... Yeah. yeah. Aye, New Age but, Outlaws and the Godwins faced the Headbangers and the New Blackjacks. Also, no one talks about the fact Team Canada... Had one Canadian on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Furnace and, and Lafon. Only one of them, I think, was from Quebec. You had Anvil on it, and you had the British Bulldog taking on. I believe it was Vader, the artist formerly known as Goldust, Steve Blackman, and I want to say Ken Shamrock. No, Mark Merrill. Oh well, there. You go. Uh, Ken Shamrock was in the. With Ahmed Johnson and LOD against Nation of Domination. See, okay, I don't even know who else is on this card. <laughs> yeah, like there's so much other stuff going on on the undercard, but like a lot of it is overshadowed. And like, yeah, there's a lot of talent here, and a lot of them are going and do big things. And the you know the soon to begin attitude there. A lot of people point to this moment as the beginning of the attitude because you know the brawling style, the two guys who were kind of the workhorses of the new gen era now doing a more attitude era style match. And then also outwardly saying Vince McMahon owns this company, which JR says openly on commentary during the brawl. You can see Vince amongst the, the people trying to break it up. But I, I, I'll I, go in a limb here. I don't think it's much of a hot take here, but I don't think many people will be talking about Survivor Series 97 nearly as much if the match had like a clean finish. Or I believe Brett, as far as he knew, it was going to be a case of Sean gets him in the sharpshooter, Brett counters into his own sharpshooter, DX and the Heart Foundation run down big brawl. Brett vacates the belt the next night on Raw. And if you look closely enough, Brett's grabbing Sean's leg as 
Earl Hebner rings the bell as if, as if he's about to set up for that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did notice that. He sort of, HBK sort of tumbles over. Brett grabs yeah. him by the leg and he's just like, wait, wait, hang on. What's going on? What's happening? And then almost like within about the space of a minute, you know, HBK grabs the title and then JR just sort of gets people off air. He's just like, all right, hey guys, thanks for watching. Bye. Yeah, it ends so abruptly. Like, mm-hmm. they just tell JR in his headpiece, like, sign off right now. And it gets cut off. At least the version that I watched on uh, Peacock, like, they, like, like JR's not even done talking before the signal cuts out. Mm, like, yeah. before that broadcast ends. Like, it's so weird. This whole thing is so weird. I think a lot of this stuff, people don't realize, all the stuff you see about Bridge and the WCW and the, the stuff thrown in monitors, I mean, I don't think it's taken from the actual show. I think it's the guys who are there filming for Wrestling with Shadows that captured all of that. Yeah. And just in the years since it's just been it's just been got bought by WWE and they've used it. Yeah, you don't see uh Brett um start cussing and throwing the modders around on not on the WWE network version, that's the one I watched at least. I don't know if it's the same for the the Peacock, but uh, yeah, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think it was a case of they didn't know what Brett was going to do or how he would react. So like, cause I wonder probably why. I probably, he, cause I probably, in their head, they probably thought as soon as he puts together, he's going to go out, he's going to run out of that ring and throttle Vince in front of everybody. So like, get the thing off air. We don't want, you know, we're fine with all these angry Canadians seeing it, but we don't want everybody else to have paid at home to, to see it. <laughs> it's, uh, it was such a weird thing. And like, again, like to actually like, talk about the match itself, like, I didn't. I skipped through the rest of the pay per view uh, to get to this, and I was so thrown by like the Goldbergian esque entrances that they t- mm. that they got, mm. and I'm like, what the hell? Why is Rick Rude here? Like, why? Like, why, like, what's going <laughs> on? But like, um, I I looked it up. I looked into it, and like, they're doing the whole gang rules gimmick, where it was all these factions fighting each other and stuff, and I'm assuming that's why they at least backstage had the respective teams follow them until they got to the damn tunnel and to, to go out into the crowd. But it was so weird. And the, the ring announcer was borderline inaudible and speaking French. Like you could barely hear the dude. And my guess is, it, is that he was speaking French. I don't want to assume, but I couldn't hear him. Like that, at all. Was, that was Howard Finkel, wasn't it? It sounded like Howard Finkel to me. I I didn't think it was Howard. I didn't recognize the voice. I had to Google it. And it was this guy named Albert something. And like that's what made me think, like, this is not because I, I was expecting, oh, hey, the heartbreak is Shawn Michaels. And I didn't get that. And oh, like especially yeah. got it here. It's uh, Albert DeFruzia. That's his yeah. Because like I it was very it was drowned out by the crowd noise, maybe, uh, but I could not hear either guy's intro. That's why I was so thrown because I didn't hear the bell ring. I looked down on my phone for a second. And they just start fighting each other, and I had to wait for commentary to tell me, "Hey, the bell hasn't rung yet." And I'm like, "What the hell? What's this? Is weird. What's happening?" Like, and I had to wait until they get back into the ring and they start doing what they're doing. But it's so weird, and I, I didn't. Granted, maybe me watching the rest of the show would have helped with all that but this it was just weird in a in a vacuum watching all that pan out yeah so i think we've been a good night talking about this 
we got three other matches to go. But I think it's a fair to say that it's a decent enough match, but it's really hard to focus on. It really doesn't compare to like the ramifications of everything else. Like I think what you when you tune in to watch the match, what you really remember from it, and what you tune in to watch is is the screw job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quintessential viewing. Like it, mm-hmm. if if you really want to see a piece of wrestling history, that it's quintessential viewing, one hundred percent. I definitely agree. I also just realized that three out of these four matches have Shawn Michaels involved in them in a major way. <laughs> you just Dave, you do you just realize that? I was I was excited when I saw the match lineup. Yeah, so if you love Shawn Michaels, you're gonna love this episode. Uh, so <laughs> Dave's the only one who has, who didn't pick Shawn Michaels. I don't know what his issue is. Clearly, you're a Brit boy. Anyway, what, what a jerk! Oh wow, wow. I like it that was used as like a derogatory term. You're such a Brett boy. If anybody's a Brett boy on this podcast, it is Gary Kerdahan. <laughs> I know I know we made a show earlier on, but I know we'd compared it to the brawl out situation, but I would love to have a clip from Wrestling with Shadows with Brett in the back at, after getting all annoyed about the screw job and goes, I don't want to work here anymore anyway. I'm old, I'm hurt, I'm fucking tired. <laughs> and I work with fucking Shelton. <laughs> he calls Sean a child, or he said that motherfucker. You know <laughs> what did I do in this world to have an empty-headed, dumb fuck like Sean Michaels? <laughs> that would have been so good. Oh man, I kind of want yeah. Brett to do that now. You have an irresponsible owner, Vincent Man, who couldn't manage a fucking target. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right, so but anyway, if we're moving in chronological order, we go to my match now, which is after Sean's retirement, his triumphant return a few months prior. We go to Survivor Series 2002 for the inaugural Elimination Chamber match, which features Sean Triple H defending the World Heavyweight Championship, Kane, Booker T, Chris Jericho, and Rob Van Dam, some of the best that Raw had to offer at the time. In Kefe, the match was created by Eric Bischoff as he wanted to. One up Stephen Mann, who had a Hell in a Cell match for the WWE title the month prior between Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And, well, the real story is that Triple H really wanted war games uh, in WWE now that, WWE, uh, now that the company owned the rights to everything WCW related. Finn said no, and this was pretty much just a compromise style match. So it's the it's one of the only Survivor Series not to have a traditional Survivor Series match, but it does have an elimination concept. But I realize once again, well, more this is more purposeful than last time. We we're kind of accidental, but I've now chosen the most topical, one of the more topical matches because now, exactly twenty years later, Triple H is in charge and he's got his way. We're having a Survivor Series with a War Games. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. Twenty years later, we're finally getting the War Games match at Survivor Series. Wow, I didn't like, even think about that. Because I remember when in twenty seventeen when they first announced it for NXT. There's that, that account Vince McMahon Googles and it and it sent out a tweet saying how to deal with a son-in-law who won't take no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, th- but, that's what a good pick, dude. This is a goodie. Mm. Yeah, and like I maybe it's nostalgic again, but for me personally, this is one of not just one of the best variety matches. This is one of the best series ever, in my opinion. This is some of the best of the ruthless aggression here in this. Pay per view. You got Victoria and Trish Stratus in a hardcore match. You got the Cruiserweight division. You got the SmackDown Six in a triple threat. You hug with Swords. 
you know, Big Johnny's weird suspenders and a swerve because of Paul Heyman's help wins the title from Brock Lesnar. You got the Dudleys reuniting to take out the dreaded three minute warning in Rico. And then you got this match at the end. Uh, also, we had the famous Scott Singer Davy away sounded very loudly Give me a fucking mic. <laughs> <laughs> Iconic. But then it all wraps up here with this match. And this match had a couple of things working against it, which really makes it stand out for how good, well it went. First off, I'll go to you, Dave. Uh, I believe it's after Booker T's already came in, but RVD's frog splash off the, the top of the pod, which oh. crushes Triple H's throat. You know, this is in the same year he came back from another horrific injury with the quad tear, and now he's having to battle through barely being able to breathe. Oh, that I remember watching that spot and I was wenching because it was a it, it wasn't that long into the match either. Maybe about maybe well, it must have been within the first few minutes or so because oh yeah that oh and I remember Triple H talking about it. It was um I think he had to go to the hospital straight afterwards because mm-hmm. it was like the whole weight of RVD coming from about fifteen feet in the air down onto his onto his throat and chest. Oh, I mean, that would have killed a normal person, I reckon. Or <laughs> not a normal person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but Triple H is a tank, by the way, and he's a phenomenal athlete at the same time. So yeah. the fact that he not only took that spot, had his throat crushed, but yet went on to wrestle for another 30-plus minutes, it's that's a testament to how much of a, of a pro he is and how tough he is as well. But yeah, the RVD was like, brilliant in this match i mean it's a shame he got eliminated first because he really made the most of the whole structure and using it to his advantage you know doing the rolling thunder from the ring to the steel floor on the outside he used the he springboarded from the from the ring to hopping on the cage wall climbing the chains and then obviously the the five-star frog splash off the top of the 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 pod so you could definitely see, you know, these guys automatically using the chamber to create very creative spots. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, like, the reason Jericho came out first, because it starts off with Van Damme and Triple H, and Van Damme gets a really good showcase, and they mention the fact that he was the first guy to lose to Triple H when Triple H became the world champion. They had that match unforgiven a few months prior. Mm. And I think it's, it's said that the reason that Jericho came out first, and it was like the two-on-one against the face was like because it's inspired by war games and often you know you have the advantage of war games and often that went to the heels back in the day mm. so that's why it was like this and then they t- despite the fact these two worked at that year's wrestlemania they do work together for the majority of the match it's only when it gets to day two and sean at the end because triple h wants to eliminate sean himself he pulls tri- uh, jericho off the cover uh, not the other way the ego as big as his nose cost him the match <laughs> My yeah. God. <laughs> but, but Chris, the other thing that goes wrong here, it was meant to be Sean comes out second to last and then Kane is the final entrant. It didn't work that way. And so Triple H is hurt. He's talking to the doctor through the, the metal, the, the chain link in the chamber, telling him that he's fine to continue, like he just needs to set out this next few spots. And so they can't do any of the planned spots with Sean because Kane is, it, is now in. And so it's Jericho and Booker having to think of stuff to do with, with Kane. And apparently Jericho pitched the, oh, why wasn't Kane put me through one of the pods? I'm like, no. And Pat Parson said, no, we've, we've said that these are bulletproof. We can't have someone go through them. And Kane didn't want to do it either. 
And so King was annoyed about coming in when he wasn't meant to, and they didn't have any spots, so he just grabbed Jericho and basically went, get ready, you're going through the fucking pot. Wait, <laughs> is that what happened? Okay, so, like, I, I, a, I didn't know that. I knew the first bit about the Triple H getting... You, David, you're very kind in calling that a five star frog splash. That was a knee drop from 15 feet onto someone's throat. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not wrong. Yeah, a, f- a five but, star, a five star flop splash. That's what you call it. <laughs> yeah, right. But I didn't know about the the cane stuff. Okay, so that makes so much sense because, like, again, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff down, and I legitimately kept saying, "Why is?" Kane bullying Chris Jericho like he was <laughs> he kept throwing him everywhere throwing him into the ring into the chain link on the outside throwing him into the pod which cut him like right above the eye or something dude immediately started bleeding and it I'm like this is crazy like this is absolutely nuts and it can't just throwing people <laughs> all over the place. That probably was my favorite part of the whole match. That Kane came in here. It was weird that Sean was the last one. And that um, he's just throwing folks everywhere. But it made for such good TV. I loved it. I loved that whole bit with Kane. But uh, like y'all mentioned RVD. Dude got, I, I felt bad. I, he, was the, yeah. he, was, he was the first one out. I'm like, damn. Like. The cr- he was He's, so over. It was He's such on a the poster for the show. Yeah, right. It was, it was such a poor way to be eliminated as well. I mean, it was just a simple. It was a missile uh, drop kick. From it was Booker a missile T. drop kick. Yeah, and he kicked out, and the crowd was dead when he got pinned. He was because I don't think they were they were expecting him to. They get started booing Booker T. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was such a poor way to exit. You know why? They could have at least you know have Triple H pedigree him or something after basically RBD almost killing him at one point. But it was just such a flop way to get to get him out. And funnily enough, Triple H didn't get any eliminations this match. It was all but well Booker T got the first one and then Jericho and HBK got the last the last two each. Technically you could say he assist in it because he gives Kane a pedigree which sets up the the Jericho line so yeah they had to of, kill like, Kane yeah, to Kane eliminate him. Finish, yeah. Yeah, I'll eat that because that's how someone like Kane Shivy picked this guy. Let's give everyone hits a finish to eliminate the big guy. And I'll, I still love the Kane spot with Jericho through the pod because I remember an early elimination chambers when it was still before they gave it its own pay per view. Like they'd show highlights and like video packages to show you all oh, this is what the kind of spots that can happen. The kind of damaging does always that that replay of Kane throwing Jericho through the pod. But yeah, I remember hearing that story about it not it may happen, then Kane says it's happening. Like Jericho talks about it in his detail in his book, and Jericho has a funny line in there where he says, He threw me with such force, you'd have thought him coming out early was my fault. Yo, like, and maybe it was a good thing that Kane came out early because it immediately sold the fact that, like, Kane is so menacing and strong. He picked up this 180 some pound man, threw him through bulletproof glass. <laughs> And he just fell right to the pod. Granted, later in the match, another pod would be destroyed. But Kane, like, um, what was it? Like, spiked him through the glass. <laughs> it was so, it was such a rad spot. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't supposed to happen makes it so much better. This match rules. Uh, I think Jerry the King Lawler's commentary on that spot as well was outstanding because it was, um, you know, he said, well, that glass may be bulletproof, but it's not Kane proof. <laughs> <laughs> right, and like corny lines from Jerry. That's 
I mean, that's that's his entire career, and I think that's yeah. why I love him on commentary so much. Jericho, is that he's so corny. Jericho's used to that spot as well because by the the year the year after at SummerSlam, uh, he had Goldberg spear him through the the pod, but then again, right. there was like a half second pause between him hitting the pod and the glass breaking. So it's obviously it was a mistimed spot ever so slightly, but you can't take away how impactful it was. And it's very fitting that uh, that you chose this uh, show, Scott, not only because it was 20 years later, getting war games this year, but it was Sean's first Survivor Series since 97. Like I, and they kept they kept mentioning that throughout the thing that oh my god Shawn Michaels has that been in a has that been in a Survivor Series in ninety seven with Bret Hart blah 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 they would not stop talking about it like mm. and I mean um, we were talking about how Shawn was a scumbag right he was the worst in ninety seven but it's like yo like he found God and now he's saying this like everyone loves like he's super mega baby face he has his little chopped hair his little pixie cut. Uh, no, his little no, no, he's got his little bob haircut. I'm like, what are you like? What's going on here with the brown mm. with the brown tights? Oh God, those yeah, tights apparently, are horrendous. Apparently they weren't, apparently they weren't <laughs> finished yet. He was wearing un- unfinished tights, and he said he wrote in his book apparently that he said that you no, know, like '97 showing with something like this would have went wrong. He would have like flipped out about it, and that means everybody in the People in the cheap seats could could know there was a mistake happening, but he says that he just turned to some people behind him and just kind of as came was battering everybody. He's going, "Well, that's not good." Well, <laughs> so you can guys, only tell because there's the H on the sides with no BKs anywhere to be found. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at that. I was like, "Wait, why is only an H on it? Why does it not say HBK?" And <laughs> could he have picked? A, could he have? Could he have picked a better color than just that? That color that looks like. That looks like diarrhea. Like, <laughs> well, like he was poop. he was clearly he was clearly nervous that he'd only I think this is only his second match since he came back from a back injury and a match that's sixty per, uh, structured at sixty percent steel and one and forty percent ring, uh, and he's thinking like I might end up shitting myself here. I must I might as well wear these tights in case <laughs> so no one notices. And yo, like the first match at that SummerSlam that year, that was unsanctioned, so it didn't even count. This this one, that was his first official match. Yeah, right. It was the first official match back, and he's wearing these shit brown tights, which I which I unironically love. I love them. Uh, The fact that they weren't done that makes so much sense. I love them even more, and the fact that. the, his spot was messed up. He came out last, and granted, like I think the match still went on uh, pretty well, with the exception of the premature RVD elimination. Everything else was cool. Mm-hmm. I, I really like how the match panned out, and this is this is so rad. This match rocks. And there was Sean, there was a line. Oh, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that I think the reason Sean came out late is the same reason he didn't hold the world title when he won it for that long because he still wasn't fully convinced that. He was going to come back full time. Because I think if he if he was a bit more confident, they should have switched that around, have Triple H come out late as the heel and have Sean kind of go the distance. Right. I think it would have been cool to see like a Sean RVD thing to start the match. Right, right. That and it, be, it was be weird. Nice. It was weird because like, oh, I don't know if I want to come back full time. Don't know if my back can hold it. Oh, my doctor said I couldn't wrestle. Dude, you did a three stages of hell match the next month. Like, he what? Does, he, does, he doesn't... He doesn't and he took a hell of a bump off the top of the ladder through those tables as well. Right. 
he does an elbow drop off the pod, just making sure he make, making sure he does he lands carefully, like so he doesn't cause further damage to Triple H's throat. Who Triple H? I should remind you, can't breathe. He still took a choke slam at one point as well. Yeah, he took, but it was the most gentle choke slam you've ever seen in your life. Oh yeah, I mean even worse than Undertaker on Hogan. Right, like Kane, like carried him down. <laughs> like I knew it looked weird, but that makes so much sense in hindsight. Like Kane was just trying to protect him. But there was a line from uh, I think it was Jr. I want to say one of them said it. They said uh, careers will be shortened after this night. Bullshit. Both <laughs> every person involved has wrestled within the last few years, at least. Some folks are still wrestling today, so like, no, no careers are shortened after that elimination chamber. None, absolutely none. You know what? If good? anything, Sean's extended another like seven years. Yeah, but you know what was good about this chamber though is that it was actually given time to not only tell a story but also put on a showcase, given that it was the first ever chamber match you know it went on right. for just under 40 minutes and i think that's a pretty lengthy stint for for a chamber match given how you know you got to let the competitors in and you know give it that big fight feel the next one as the aforementioned SummerSlam 03 that one didn't even last 20 minutes but that one just felt incredibly that's you, rushed that's you got goldberg in it goldberg yeah, doesn't wrestle goldberg twice in the matches Goldberg eliminated <laughs> three people in the space of three minutes in that match. It was insane. Nah, this is a great way to debut a match type. This is this is like the prototype for stuff like that. I feel like it's weird going by that to the view and how it's weird how Triple H, you know, prioritizes injuries because he gets injured in this match, still goes the distance. He walks into that the two thousand three one with a groin injury, and they they cut, get around it by him getting op- his opening like fourth or like the third or whatever. He comes out, it's immediately super kicked by Sean, has a lie down until Goldberg's cleared everyone else out. And so Triple H does the bare minimum in the 2003 one, but here's like, no, I'll, I'll keep wrestling all the way to the end, even though I can barely communicate whether or not I'm okay. And there's another match that we'll talk about in a second where Triple H uh, also gets <laughs> brutalized by Shawn Michaels. <laughs> but the uh, this this match... In, and uh, <laughs> to, to pinpoint it to this, um, first of all, I love the MSG setup. Um, like this, I, I miss this the the baby like uh, the baby ramp and the two doors that open there. Like also the Titantron that setup rules, and everyone was over as hell on this match. Every single person involved, all six of them, got big ass pops when their music hit. Booker T, RVD, RVD especially, my God. And then Sean coming back, of course. But there was so much going on just in the lead up to it that was awesome. And a Triple H halfway cutting. A, was he a babyface at this time? Because he halfway cut a babyface promo before the match started. And he got this loud ass reaction when he came out like, dude, Triple H was the he was the man. He was the shit. At I, this think, time. I, I think it's just the New York crowd in general. I think, you know, where King likes to call them like bizarro world and stuff, you know, they cheer the heels, they boo the faces and people thought it was right. time. But then again, Triple H did have that commanding presence about him as world champion. And I think people just respected him for that, that he was the he was the guy effectively. Like, like I know Triple H gets a lot of shit, especially in the years after this. 
um like for like his whole like into me i'm doing it for the better the business brother like doing all this crazy shit that he's doing but like he's the he is the man i see why his ego is as big as it is like he's the shit and also um speaking of uh, getting buried by triple h um i don't know i forget how exactly booker t was eliminated in this match but i told myself before the match started however he gets eliminated it's racially driven and um <laughs> it obviously wasn't watching it but i wrote down i'm like this is going to be racially driven but he did have a spin rooney which made me happy and i forgot about it immediately i mean you look at everyone else and they're dealing with triple h in this match i mean sean the triple h their history speaks for itself he got hit with a triple h loss at certain time but still hit sean with a hammer this is only a few weeks after katie vick with kane rvd got beat at unforgiven uh, Jericho and Triple H had that feud going into Mania where Jericho had to walk Stephanie's dog. So going into it, Booker T was the best dog because he had barely inter- any interaction with uh, Triple H. But you know, then again, WrestleMania 19 is the following year, so things only went further downhill for Booker T when it comes to associating <laughs> himself with Triple H. It was the beginning of the end. Uh, and, I, and Booker T, he's so rad. I think Booker T is underrated. When we look back at, because I think they mentioned on commentary, like at the time he was an eleven-time tag champ, or I, uh, I don't know how many tag champions he's won since, but like he was the he was the man, he was the well, shit. I think he, I can remember at least two more he wins after this. Cause I think the month after this, because Jericho walks in as tag champ along with I think he and Christian are tag champs. I think right. Booker and Goldust win the following months, mm-hmm. and then ironically RVD's in this match. Him and RVD win the. The tag tales, I think, in 04 and have the worst mashup theme I've ever heard in my life. Oh, <laughs> I've, I heard it at WrestleMania, the, watching back WrestleMania 20, it was an awful mashup. I mean, if you think, like, it's mashup themes don't usually go well. The only exception right. really being rated RKO. Oh, yes. That one, that one rocks. Yes. But Booker <laughs> yeah. T, in, in general, I think is incredibly underrated. Like, he. He deserves way more love than he gets. And I know we all love Booker T now. If you don't love Booker T, what's wrong with you? What what the hell did he do to you? But especially here, like it's he's such like the odd one out, not because of the obvious reasons that I mentioned earlier, but uh he just he sticks out and it's like, yo, like you're the you're the you're the man too. All these guys had these great legacies, and so does Booker, but I think no one talks about his Booker or talks about Booker as much as everybody else in this match. It was a year after, you know, the the winner takes all as well, where WCW joined with WWE afterwards. So I think Booker, I think, was still in that transitional phase between, you know, moving from WCW to WWE, whereas the rest of the guys were, well, maybe with with the exception of RVD and maybe Chris Jericho at a push. A lot of those guys have been sort of WWE firm for, for a good while. Right. Right. No, 100%. But like we all, of course, we all look back at Sean and Triple H, some of the greatest of all time. The same thing with Jericho, like RBD, like this all like when you think of fan favorites, RBD is at the top of that list. Kane, like this, you know, this this menacing presence that and say what you want about Glenn Jacobs now, but Kane was and still is the shit. And then they're like this Booker T who has this great catalog and titles that he's won all over the place. But I feel like he doesn't get as mentioned as much as everybody else in this match, and I think he should be. But this this match, it it, it rocks, and this just to show. Like I know everyone talks about the SmackDown Six, 
But like Raw was also packing some heat. Mm-hmm. Like they had some great talent on the Raw side, and this match is the epitome of that. Yeah, um, I think uh, to briefly say a bigger to you before I move on. I think I mean thing that affects how as a wrestler is the fact that he turned himself into such a meme just for, because of his commentary career. <laughs> uh, for good and bad reasons. Shucky like, ducky, I, like, quack quack. Like I remember watching Halloween Havoc the other week, and I popped when I heard him say, "Camel Hayes, he's at the top of my fave five. Like he said the thing. He said one of his things. <laughs> I, think, I think he has to know it's a running gag from now on. He knows oh, yeah, he's he a did. meme. He has to know. That yeah, is so but, good. Sean winning, I think we can all agree, as much as talent as there is here, I think given the story of his comeback, his, he was the right one. I think above everyone else, he was the right one to win this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This was his last world title, right? Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. Because, again, we're going to talk about another Shawn Michaels match in a minute. But in that match, they mentioned he, he was a four-time world champ. And I said to myself out loud, that's it? There are these guys that have, you know, double-digit reigns, obviously, Triple H being one of them, Orton, Flair, Cena, like, all these guys, Lesnar, you know, like, there are a bunch of dudes that have double-digit reigns, but, like, HBK, who I consider the greatest of all time for multiple different reasons, he's only a four-time world champ, but he's yeah. done so much other shit that makes up for that, and to me, overtakes the other people I just mentioned, but he is the he is the man, and it, he got this great moment with the confetti and MSG, and he's gushing blood from his face, and like it's it's just a great moment with his little brown tights. But it's it w- it was rad. This is a great choice, Scott. Probably, yeah, th- yeah low key. This was my favorite of the matches we watched, including mine that I picked for this. I mean, to keep on the Sean Michaels train, uh, you know. There's an argument to be made that I think he was he purposely taking himself out of the t- world title scene by not winning it again when in his first one he was pretty much monopolizing it as soon as he got the chance in '96. And there's an argument to be made he could have easily won and people would have been happy with it when he had that feud with Cena in '07 or the feud with Jericho when the world title got involved in 2008. But he, he never won the world title again. But he did have another chance to challenge for it in your match, Chris, which is the main event of Survivor Series 2009. Where John Cena defends the WWE Championship against both members of the reunited DX, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. Tell us a little bit about this and why this was your choice. So when I found out that we were doing Survivor Series matches, I immediately thought to myself, like, what would be fun for, for me to choose? And the first thought, the first match that I had in mind was the one that I ended up choosing because of how much this match means to me and my fandom for pro wrestling. It's from Survivor Series 2009. It is the triple threat match for the WWE Championship. John Cena, who was champion at the time, defending against both members of D-Generation X, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. And while I fully acknowledge this is not the best match that any of these three men have ever had, this is not the best triple threat that any of these three men have ever had or the best match we'll talk about on this show today. But this show, Survivor Series 09, was very pivotal to my love of pro wrestling because I was a later fan. And I didn't get into the whole mix until like 08, 09. 
And I remembered this whole card and this main event that went on for way too long, but featured three of my absolute favorites of all time. And damn, is it fun. I just love looking back at it and solely because of how it starts. I think how this match starts is the most iconic, like one of the more iconic things of the PG era. When they're sitting there, it's the two members of DX on one side of the ring. John Cena, he's ready for the two-on-one assault he's about to take. And the whole lead-in to this match was, is DX going to implode? Is DX going to implode? As long as DX still has the belt, it doesn't matter who wins. Striker and Lawler are going back and forth on commentary. And then, all of a sudden, the camera's on Triple H, and he gets rocked with the super kick. He falls out of the ring, and... Cena's face immediately becomes a memed, and it still is a meme 13 years later, and it is stunning. And even now when I rewatched it last night, like this is so rad. Like that super kick stuck with me for 13 years. I love this match. Unironically, it's so rad. And it's one of the one of my favorite things of the PG era in, in retrospect. Yeah, because I think everybody knows about this this opening, like this super kick from Sean on a on a Triple H right at the start of the match. So he's take Triple H out for a bit. And I think that, and then Triple H getting his revenge with putting Sean through the table with the Spinebuster is a is a unique way to you know go around the typical trope that everyone complains about about Triple Threat match, and that well somebody gets knocked out and then they come back in later on and it comes another two on two with somebody else a different combination while someone else takes a break, but. I think they got they did this to kind of shake that formula up a little bit. And Jerry Lawler, so PG Jerry Lawler is like not as offensive in his commentary as the attitude of Jerry Lawler, but he's also not good either. And he just <laughs> he, he has like a malfunction at the at, after that because he cannot process it for several minutes afterwards. He just keeps every time he just picks up, he goes, "What like, uh, did I did I really see it like?" Like, I still can't believe he, he super kicked him in the face. Cole and Stryker are trying to get him involved as much as they could. <laughs> he can't say anything. <laughs> it's so funny because Stryker, because they had asked each other. I think Cole had asked Lawler and Matt Stryker, like, like, do you guys think Dex is going to implode? And like, and Lawler's like, oh, yeah. Uh, like, I don't think they're going to implode. But they still might take the belt. They can't implode. It's impossible. And Striker's like, are you shitting me, dude? It's a triple threat match. And of course, they're like, this has to happen. Look at these two guys. Two guys with all these long histories, all these big egos, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second the super kick happens, Lawler swallows his mic. And, L- and Striker starts losing his mind. Like, oh, my God. Like, I knew it. I told you, King. King, I respect you and I love you. But I told you. <laughs> it was so funny. And they tried so hard to get him involved. But Cole and Striker carried that the rest of the match. Because everything Lawler had is, was gone within seconds. Yeah, I actually forgot. You know, Matt Striker was on commentary for a decent stint uh, during the PG era. Because... He was sort of relegated to the ECW spin-off brand a little bit. But it was, um, in all fairness, when it came to big matches, Stryker was, um, what's the word? He was, he was tolerable as a commentator. <laughs> not, he was not everyone's favorite, that's all I'll say. But 
Right. I, I don't know. I didn't mind him personally, but yeah, I think his reaction specifically to that first super kick at the start was uh, it just sold how shocking it was. Um, especially you know when the, there was all the speculation about you know will they turn on each other and at what point. I mean, I don't think anybody expected it to happen straight away, but the whole storytelling aspect of this match was pretty clever because it felt like two one-on-one matches specifically, you know, he faces Cena versus HBK for the first five minutes or so. Triple H gets back up, puts Sean through a spine buster, spine buster through the table. Then we get Cena versus Triple H for a bit. But both the DX members are out, are away from each other for a good while. And there's only like a, a couple of minutes where they actually face off against each other. And there's, it's not like that animosity feel about it. You know, it feels more like a traditional sportsman, like, match you know there's um it's done in a very professional manner rather than just like a mass brawl and it's the the near finishes and the back and forth towards the end i think really sort of drove the storytelling home a little bit because you know both members get their fair shot at cena and then towards the end it's just a mad scramble for like who can who can get the kill the kill shot and win the and win the title? It was I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. But, um, but yeah, definitely the whole DX tag team angle was the the talking point for sure. Mm-hmm. And don't and don't get me wrong, like going into this match, it was like it's three baby faces against each other. You know, like, so you're already at a disadvantage because the other triple threat that happened on the night, which which was the match before, was Undertaker with the World Heavyweight Championship against Jericho, who were the tag champs, mm-hmm. and they were in a triple threat for the world title. And I don't, and I don't know, maybe it's because of the, like, in hindsight, like, the build, you knew, like, none of the tag guys are going to win. Like with the benefit of hindsight and me at the at the ripe age, how old was I? 12, 13 when this match happened? I didn't know. So I was like, hey, like this could be nuts, you know? But in retrospect, I'm like, there's no way in hell, no way that Taker and Cena were losing their belts. But with having those three guys in the main event, baby faces, and they weren't really doing heelish things besides Sean shocking the hell out of the arena that they were in. Like it was like what you said, David, it was all just, just perfectly executed storytelling. Mm. There wasn't any big spots besides the super kick and the, and the spine bust through the table. Um, there was that, there was that cool, like double pin, like triple H was on his back and Sean yeah. and Cena had their arms on them. And then he kicked out of both. I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't too much besides that. And then the match just sort of ended. Like there wasn't a big climactic finish. Like they, uh, some, I think Sean hit Triple H with a super kick and then attitude adjustment, boom, uh, on Sean, one, two, three, match there was, over. There was the spot where I think Triple H took the third super kick and he actually fell on Cena. Which was Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. I thought, yeah. And the, yeah, the referee was too busy looking at HBK at Sean. outside. But, the audience was counting with it. It was a three count, but the referee totally. he didn't notice it until about two seconds later. So it was a oh, can you imagine if you imagine if Triple H won off of that? Like there was t- at least there'd be an argument for controversy or 
you know, argument for a future match at some point. And again, that adds to the storyline. But oh, if there's one thing I'd uh, take away from it, I thought just needed needed improvement was John Cena's execution of the STF on both guys. <laughs> because it, he just made it look like the stupidest submission hold ever. You know, it's because he gets the, the leg hook. That's fine. It's just when he just puts both his arms, click, click grabs his fists together and literally it's almost like he's squeezing his arms against their cheekbones rather than actually you know <laughs> his elbow and draw pulling their chin back it just does not look like it does any damage to their neck or face whatsoever it's it's Nick, Nick, oh, Nikki it's Bella dire. Nikki Bella was able to do a better STF than John Cena and never was that more <laughs> evident as when they did a dual one on episode of Smackdown and you're like, John, look to your right. She's she's one-upping you on your own submission move. Like, uh, I, but, I don't get why they changed it, though, because the first time he used it on Chris Masters, it was, he, he went full-on, like, strangulation. It was, it was, it looked devastating, but now it's just like, he, he has his fists about two inches beneath their chin, and it doesn't do anything. Cena was already OP. They had to nerf something about him, so just nerf the STF. <laughs> That's the only thing that made sense. Yeah, looking at this card, I think this is a Loki. This is one of the Loki underrated Survivor Series uh, pay per views. I think because you got that other triple threat. You got Batista v Rey Mysterio, or he said just turn heel. But some interesting Survivor Series matches on this card. You got oh, Team Miz. Friend. <laughs> you got Team Miz versus <laughs> Team Morrison on this show. Yeah, uh, yeah. You you got Team Kofi Kingston, which features ECW champion Christian against Team Randy Orton, which is I think this is pre stupid incident. But also the Jericho Big Show Undertaker trouble threat does give us the infamous. And from Winnipeg, you idiot. That's from this match. <laughs> and I also, think, I think that's the only time in history where the tag team champions have been opponents on two straight pay per views. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they were on opposite ends of the bragging rights. That's right, yeah. And they were trying to time. And ironically, they'd lose the tag team titles to DX the following month at TLC. And also, a, a fun little oddity, if I go out and find it, the go-home Raw for this show was an MSG and featured a triple threat tag team main event of oh my God. Show versus yes. DX versus Cena and Taker. That, that. that match, it's not great. But the spectacle is mm-hmm. nuts. It's nuts. And then take like, her, I'll go back and rewatch that solely for the entrances. Take her tombstone scene afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah. everybody everybody thought that was gonna apparently everyone at the time thought that was gonna say it'll be inevitable Cena take her WrestleMania match, but it never took place. I'm also sure that the MSG show might be that one with the famous bit where Kofi attacks Orton and does that dive and leg drop through yeah. a table somewhere. Well, it might in the have been, yeah. Oh no, it might be no, it was that on the build to their TLC match. No, no, because well, they're already feuding here if they got two Survivor Series teams, so I think actually it might have been that show. Mm. All right. Ah. But, wow. Oh yeah. And also this this triple threat match that we're just talking about, I think that was the first time that Cena debuted his gariously orange t-shirt <laughs> as well. Yo, that T is insane. Like <laughs> uh, I don't like I don't like I don't like the orange. It was oh no, the shirt's not good, but it is nuts. How like we let him get away with a lot of like, different shirts. Who in the merch department thought that orange, but bright orange, would be a good color for Cena? I mean, it's better than his 2011 look when he got bloody purple. 
Oh, come on. The purple was all No, right. the purple's fine. It's to uh, me, like, I, I only own, I can say this in confidence, I own a one John Cena t-shirt and it's the second orange one that it wasn't like that, that, um, oh, the 2015 one. Yeah. The one where he won his 15th title. Yeah. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. that one. I love that shirt and I, I own it and I have it in confidence, but it's a different orange than the one that he wore at the 09 show or like that around that time of the, of the Cena merchandise loop. But Yo, that orange is not good. Plus, I don't like the 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 squatting, doing the like the scene that's on the front, and that you can't see me on the back. Oh, it's an ugly shirt. It really is an ugly shirt. But it must have Dude. sold like hotcakes. Say that shit. Clearly, if you told Daily there would be an argument for controversy with the way that if Triple H had pinned Cena after he fell on him after the sweet chin, I think the crowd wouldn't have cared either way because this this is a hot fuck you, Cena. Crowd because like even the the when they're trying to do the Jill and Chance the people the, the Cena sucks people are relentless and they're drowning out the Let's Go Cena's at one point. That is true. Yeah, uh, it was in it was in Washington D.C. as well. Yeah, which I don't, I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't expect them to be a, a viciously hardcore anti Cena crowd, but fair enough. <laughs> and yeah, but I do I do agree that there's some of the bigger spots delivered, but in between there's a lot of really slow offense happening this i would have liked a bit more between sean and triple h because they do tease it and then seen interrupts it once or twice which gets them booed even more so i would have liked to see him a bit more interaction between those two but yeah i think the finish is cena aas sean on a triple h pins triple h and sean kind of rolls over like he might break it up but the referee's already counted three so he's just a little bit too late to break it up the the whole like uh triple threat model that a lot of that a lot of matches follow like it gets tiresome and in this match it 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 shows that I'm like oh it's the one guy laying on the outside while the other two are wrestling in the in- inside of the ring like it's it's fine this match isn't bad by any means like it's definitely like just the story that they were telling and again this is around the time of the guest host era of raw um, so it was a very weird time for wrestling fans that were already established the product. Me, I just thought this is what wrestling was. So I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I oh, Johnny Heater from Blades of Glory is gonna guest host Raw with with Don Johnson. Fantastic. I'm I'm there. <laughs> right. And uh, a movie that my mom's not gonna let me watch, Blades of Glory. Fantastic. But <laughs> this match, I remember watching it. I'm like, this is again three of my favorite wrestlers ever. And the story that they told was well executed. Everything in between was meh. David, I'm so glad you mentioned that Triple H near fall with Cena because that spot, they might be the best spot of the entire match, honestly. Oh, like yeah, it, that, it rocks. That or, the, that or the first super kick, that for sure. Right, right. But I mean, to me, the first super kick, that's, that's in its own little category. But that, that near fall is nuts. Mm-hmm. But the, my, my favorite thing about all this is um, the like? I don't remember. I have a horrible memory of stuff, and I vividly, vividly remember watching the Raw the next day. And one of the the first thing we see of Triple H and Sean is like Sean's just standing there with his like his little goofy Sean face, and Triple H is eyeballing the shit out of him. Like you know what you did, 
Like, why did you do it? it it's almost as if they hadn't spoken to each other since the match. <laughs> so, like, they haven't <laughs> talked in 24 hours. But it was so funny. And they immediately played it for laughs. Like, like you guys said, like, there wasn't any type of dissension within DX. They won the tag titles a few weeks later. But it was, it was fun. They had their little thing. They knew it was just for the one match. And they're like, all right, let's go win the tag belts. But it was it was really fun, and the crowd was hot. Surprisingly, for a DC crowd. Yeah. So good choice there, Chris. But ironically, you know, it's it's really fitting this show because we started off with uh, Montreal, you know, in '97, and Survivor Series wouldn't come back to Canada until almost 20 years later when they'd go to Toronto for Dave's pick the semi-main event of Survivor Series 2016. I think up until this, on this pay-per-view is another underrated Survivor Series. I think this pay-per-view is one of the better examples of Survivor Series being used for the brand v. brand thing. It would be the second best one, I think, of the current year after 2019 with Ross, Matt, Dan, and NXT. But Dave, mm. I know you wanted the Survivor Series 02, same way I got in there a bit quicker, but your second choice was yeah. the men's five-on-five match from this show, Raw v. SmackDown. Please tell us more about this and why you chose it. So I chose this one largely off the back of uh, being in attendance at Raw Glasgow, and this was the the main sort of program going into Survivor Series at the point, because I remember I was sitting there with Josh and Stacey, almost at three tiers up in the back of the hydro, but we still had a decent view of what was going on in the ring, which was good. And just watching the story unfold, watching the team get formed, you know, we had Owens and Jericho captaining, you had Roman Reigns, United States champion at the time, who went, who was, who was getting booed everywhere he went uh, and was a face cat, was meant to be a face character at this point, not tribal chief Roman. This is big dog Roman. And then you got Braun Strowman, who's basically breaking out on his own as a rising star uh, on away from the Wyatt family. And then Stephanie McMahon announces Seth Rollins as the final member. And you think this is a pretty damn impressive looking team, especially now that, you know, things have been shook up following the brand split and 2016 brand split WWE was a very, very interesting time, particularly over on SmackDown where Daniel Bryan was the general manager and Shane McMahon was commissioner. And it almost as if, they had a better grasp on, you know, what the fans were were keen on. Like, they completely reinvented their tag team division. They reinvented their women's division. And the uh, the main event scene, you know, an upper mid-carder scene was, was stacked with guys like AJ Styles, Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton, Ambrose, who was WWE champion, um, immediately following the split, but then losing it to AJ Styles at Backlash the couple of months prior to that. The the whole assembly of the teams, it just felt like a completely fresh start for WWE as a whole. And what better way to test their new their new roster of superstars by pitting their not only their their best and brightest, but also some teasing some new faces that deserve a bit more a bit more exposure. And this match delivered on a lot of fronts. It forwarded the storyline between uh, 
Owens and Jericho sort of going a bit manic. Uh, you had the rise of Braun Strowman as a dominant performer. The AJ Ambrose feud was still going on, and they had a match scheduled for TLC the month after, which was a banging match, by the way. And this match itself, you know, everything outside of the ring, you know, you had referees getting involved, you had security getting involved, you had mass brawls on the outside, two tables got broken, and we even got to see a little bit of a Shield reunion. Funnily enough, it was five years after the the Shield's initial debut, following Ambrose getting eliminated first. And this match was given tight so much time to deliver all that. Like, best part of 53 minutes, uh, 52-55 according to Wikipedia, but yeah, 53 minutes, and I'm pretty sure it's one of the longest Survivor Series elimination matches on record, if not the longest. And it just had absolutely everything in terms of brand warfare, shenanigans on the outside, storytelling, and some some flashbacks to some favorite moments. I was so pleased with how this match unfolded, and it took its time. Like, Ambrose wasn't eliminated until 16 minutes in, which is longer than... Uh, longer than most other matches take place altogether around that time. But yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with how this went just because it had everything you could want out of brand warfare. And I always love a bit of brand warfare. I remember where I was as well. I remember being at the Raw Glasgow as well. It's the only thing to the main event five-way between all of Team Raw and Burr over Braun Strowman was getting at the time. And then I remember I went to the SmackDown the following night where I think Baron Corbin was maybe on Team SmackDown. They took him out with a, a kayfabe injury because he fell off the apron and hurt his knee. That was oh, the oh, thing they did. Oh, oh. I, I matched with Kalisto, of all people, I think. And they, that's when, she, when Daniel Bryan closed the show by inviting Shane McMahon to take his place. This is back when people were still happy with that idea. <laughs> so there was that. And then I remember ICW had the hide, their first Hydro show that same night. So I went to that with Ross and one of his friends. And they went back to Ross's friend's house. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It's just escaped me. Uh, but we went back to his house and we watched Survivor Series. And I remember really enjoying this pay-per-view. And I think I was rooting for SmackDown. I don't know about you like at the time. Because SmackDown had a kind of a resurgence like it did in the original brand split. you know, Because you had the whole land of opportunity. People were getting opportunities like Heath and Rhino. Their story is tag champs. Becky, SmackDown Women's Champion, Ambrose and AJ and their thing, the Orton and Orton being part of the Wyatt family, which unfolds in this match, whereas as entertaining as Jer- Jericho and KO were as a team at the time, were the, the repeated combinations every single week of them versus Seth and Roman was very repetitive. But the two highlights of Raw at that point were Jer- Jericho and Owens' friendship and Braun Strowman just coming out and destroying people. Hmm. Uh, this is when I started to become a fan of Braun Strowman as a as a singles guy, just because he was like a a homegrown monster giant that obviously he was a bit green in the ring at first, but and he was a bit heavier back then as well. But he had a ton of potential, and he just had this this commanding, dominating presence, and he had the look about him as well, you know, with the the mohawk ponytail, the the massive beard. It was difficult. It was difficult not to ignore him, if you get me. Uh, but it's good that he got the first elimination in this match as well, because it goes to show how reliable 
or not, not reliable, like how much faith they had in him to deliver a, a good performance. I just think it's a shame, though, that he was first to be eliminated on Team Raw. But then again, it was by countout because of the bloody, the chinless wonder that is James Ellsworth, who was the, oh, God. the mascot of SmackDown. But I wasn't too upset with it because, you know, Braun didn't, wasn't made to look weak by getting Pender submitted. You know, he got, he got eliminated on a technicality. But what was really funny, though, was the, the bit afterwards where he basically chased Ellsworth up the ramp. Ellsworth then did his best uh, final girl in slasher film skit where he pretends to trip at the top of the ramp. And then Strowman just murders him by, like, throwing him off the stage through a stack of tables. <laughs> was, again, it, it, it says, OK, Strowman got eliminated. But, yeah, do not fuck around with this guy because... If you're about half his size, he will literally throw you distance and hurt you easily. Yeah, because like you remember Ellsworth's debut is a guy who's got squashed by Braun Strowman. So all these months later, he got his revenge only to be murdered again by by Strowman. But I think that's one of the most funny, uh, one of the funnier eliminations in Survivor Series history. And Chris, a big thing about this match that keeps entertaining for the whole 50 minutes is there's so much story throughout this. Like, yeah, Ambrose gets all made first, but they, they cut to AJ, who could have broken it up because they're in a feud. He chooses not to. He chooses getting one over on Ambrose rather than the, the rather than protecting his team. No, one hundred percent. That was the the big to me. That was the big feud of twenty sixteen. Was Ambrose and Styles, like SmackDown, as D- David put it eloquently, as I should add. Um, twenty sixteen was a year of reinvigoration for a lot of people solely because of like the brand split that was done to a T that they have not replicated since in the last six years. And like SmackDown, I believe that was when they were on, that was their first year on Fox. No, they were on USA. Oh, USA. USA still. You were still on USA. They They changed the presentation like with SmackDown live as they kept calling it at the time. Right, like they they kept referring to it like, like I I it hit me when uh, JoJo, who no offense to JoJo, but no, uh, <laughs> uh, she was she was fine. I think WWE has way better ring announcers now than it did before. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, Samantha, like she, Arvin, Samantha Arvin does a pretty good job on SmackDown. She right? is crushing it right now. Yeah, no, and I'm micro great. Okay, but um, SmackDown Live was just this rebrand for what, to a lot of people at the time, considered you know like the B show of WWE. But then 2016, I think a lot of folks started to say like, "Hey, SmackDown's where the party's at." And to me, it was solely lynched on the AJ Styles of it all. It was still his first year. He hasn't even been in WWE for a year yet. And Styles is already doing all this, all this incredible stuff. And plus, Ambrose was becoming this superstar. Not just like a star like he already was. But this, this main event, I'm going to carry the brand on my shoulders type of guy. And I mean, that was an inkling to what we saw or what we're seeing now with John Moxley in AEW. Like, we already knew that he could do that. It's just that WWE wasn't letting him do that up for a lot of the time after 2016. But going into this match, there was the whole Shane McMahon of it all, him being the commissioner and putting himself into the match. Um, 
Scott, you had mentioned everything with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns had a he- what they were trying so hard uh, <laughs> to get him to be a babyface at this time, and then the whole stuff with Shane happens, which definitely did not help his case at the time, at least from the eyes of the fans. You, I loved, I loved, and still loved the Owens Jericho, uh, the 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 friendship, and then breaking up that they later had. It was it was so much fun to watch all this pan out. And 2016, I don't know where I was at wrestling wise, but I remember I was tuning in every Friday, tuning in every Monday, um, to watch both of these programs. And these guys were hot as hell. I did forget that Orton was with the Wyatt family, though. <laughs> I, I chose to forget that. No offense. Um, but that's something I, cho- I chose not to remember until I rewatched this. And it was cool. You know, I love the fact that they put, brought, they, they put uh, Bray Wyatt over at the end, though. I thought that was, yeah. super, that was super sick that Orton was out here taking spears, setting him up to do these crazy things, doing the RKOs, to all make Wyatt look good. And I think the fan reaction was once the match ended definitely appealed to that. Yeah, like because like when it got to Orton and and Wyatt versus Roman, it did have vibes of you Nocina know, Winslow kind of thing, and that you thought, oh, this baby they're really really pushing it's just going to overcome the odds, you know, like Cena did to Gabriel and Bada at SummerSlam, but no, Orton sacrifices himself. Wyatt pins Roman. As clean as you were going to get at that point with Roman, and cleaner than you'll get nowadays with the way Roman's been booked as a as a tribal chief. But it was a hell of a moment. It it did kind of take it away from Smackdown a bit when JBL forgot what show he was on and shouted Rollin, Rollin when he's a Smackdown commentator. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're talking about Raw wins in terms of overall. Survivor Series team wins because I think they won the women's and the tag team elimination matches. But yeah. SmackDown with Bray and Orton winning was definitely an ex- exclamation point because Bray Wyatt gets the most eliminations of the two. He had a very good showing towards the latter half of the match. But uh, there were some pretty funny spots at the same time. You know, there was uh, Rollins and Reigns, I think, uh having that beef with security then ambrose comes out to help them before power bombing aj through the the table which i thought yeah. was quite funny and there's also owens getting himself disqualified by hitting orton with the list of jericho and then <laughs> jericho getting eliminated about less than a minute later by randy orton and then he before he's eliminated he's like grabbing all the bits of paper from the list and then he just walks out with a just scrunched up list as well like that's like Okay, I'm eliminated, but don't don't take my list from me. Like that. I mean, who'd have thought that you know Chris Jericho? He, like he's a magician at getting stuff over. He gets a scarf over. He gets a a, a clipboard over, and he gets a, a light up jacket over as well. Like he and Mitch, it. don't forget Mitch the pot of plant. Mitch the plant, yeah. But I think he's more Ambrose's uh, thing. But I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, Mitch the plant. Dave, he's, he's not a magician. Have you not heard of him? He said it all. Most of the first part of this year, he's a wizard. He'll throw a fireball in your face for getting that wrong. He's the Ocho. <laughs> but I, I love also, and in this match, you had both your world champions of your respective brands on the teams. And there was like this, there wasn't any cohesion on both squads. Like, because typically, um, 
when you do these brand v brand we're gonna do it for the brand we're gonna do it for raw for smackdown yeah that's typically how it's always been right but this it was hey i'm gonna show up for smackdown and maybe i'll put your shirt on maybe i'll put the smackdown shirt on maybe i'll put the raw shirt on but just know i hate your guts like and i don't like you like we saw that with ambrose and styles owens jericho versus literally everybody else on their team and there was just this there was more cohesion on the smackdown side when ambrose left like you actually saw a lot of conversing and stuff uh amongst the other four guys but it was still very much we're only doing this for one night only we're not friends whatever I'm, i'm here for the for the for the check brother all this crazy stuff but I love that, like, again, Owens was universal champ. You have Styles as your WWE champion. And they both didn't get punked out, like how we've seen other champs or other people get punked in Survivor Series matches. For example, like, Styles, he got triple powerbomb through that table, thrown back into the ring, and that's how, that's how Rollins pinned him. And Owens just walked out after doing the... Oh, I hit Orton with the list. LOL. I'm going to just walk away now. <laughs> like it's, and granted that was what the character was doing at the time. So it was just very, it was very protective of its champions as, as it should have been. Yeah. I mean, you, th- you think of the contrast to that, which so easily could have happened. Like you, when you and me and Grant, Chris, you talked about Walter as UK yep. champion getting just pumped out by, by Drew McIntyre and a Claymore kick in five minutes and that. 2019 match, right? Like that case, I, I, I everybody was protected here. Like even when even Shane, who I don't even know, like if he was going to get pinned off that, like he limited off the spear, but like he kicked out because I think because he didn't know where he was and they did the best they could with that, you know, getting him out. Can of we there. talk about that first? Yeah, second? please do. Like sure. that spot was bad. so like it was the coast to coast thing that Shane had been doing forever. Right. And Roman's there. Roman's going to spear Shane. And there's this whole setup. Everyone's like, yay, yay, do the thing, Shane, do the thing. He jumps. His head bounces off the mat. Right. And immediately you can tell something's wrong. Immediately. And Roman goes to pin him. And Shane almost looks like he kicks out instinctively. Right. Like that pro wrestling mentality. Like, oh, I got to kick out. So let me kick out. And he's like, he's not convulsing, but you, he looks like he's just, he just got hit by a train, right? And the train happened to be named Roman Reigns. <laughs> and there was this confusion with, uh, with John Cohn. He's like, hey, uh, like, you don't look okay, dude. And you can see Randy almost like break character for a second. He slides into the ring and he's just like, um, yo, what the, what? what the hell probably other expletives that were used out of the mouth of Randy Orton, like what's going on. But there's this great moment that isn't shown up on camera where Orton gets out of the ring and goes to Shane's kids who are at ringside. And they essentially, he's, he essentially tells them, Hey, your dad's all right. He's got his bell rocked by Roman Reigns. Uh, but they have like, he kicks out, but he's eliminated anyway because he's unable to continue and it's this very weird spot that the fans don't pick up on initially, but the second they realize that Shane's not okay, they're all like, hey, yo, Roman, what the hell, dude? They immediately blame Roman. And again, they try to make him this face, this, this face of your brand. I think he was US champ at the time. Yep. And yep. 
That's and then he concusses the hell out of Shane McMahon. That's the commissioner of SmackDown, dude, and he almost killed him. Mm. Yeah, it was uh it was ruled as a technical knockout. So it wasn't officially counted for the three, but I think John Cohn looked at him and said, No, he he can't he can't go on, he's 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 out for the count. So it's it's technically ruled as a knockout, but it's uh yeah, I mean it could have just been a pinfall uh just from the, the spot alone, because I think that the timing of it was a little bit off, but then again, it was looking at how it was done. It was a very, very tricky spot to pull yeah. off. So you have to get the timing had to be spot on the height. Shane's height in the air had to be spot on and it had to be done in such a way that, you know, that he wouldn't land like neck first, but then again, obviously spots don't go according to plan and the positioning of it as well in the ring. Cause around the ring, like the edge of the ring, it tends to be where the hardest parts of the ring are, where the most lumber is. So hitting like head first, like near the ropes, that could knock you unconscious or at the very least um, give you a serious injury. Because look what happened to John Cena in 2008 when he took a Batista bomb, like sort of in the corner. That's what led him to his neck injury. And then when Enzo Amore, I think, at Backlash that year, he um oh like was that the was, slide he was, spot? He was, yeah he slid out the ring and he hit his head on the edge of the apron on the way down he was he was knocked out he he got a concussion from that and he was ruled out for about a month but yeah that was that was nasty that that spot um and it, it doesn't it does the, the rewatch didn't help like i remember that that spot was in there because mm-hmm. again like as scott mentioned earlier this is around the time where shane mcmahon and a match was cool and that the fans wanted it, myself included. Like I was, like I love Shane McMahon, and I, I think <laughs> he brings this weird energy to to pro wrestling that I enjoy. But he was such an odd man out in this entire thing. And you're gonna, he's gonna get his moves in, his like boxer stiff ass punches, right? And then he's gonna do his his I can do my high flying spot too. But like what you said, David, like the whole. Like, there's so many factors that go into a spot like that. That spot's going to be messed up more often than not. And Shane just caught it and just immediately felt like a sack of potatoes. And it just, it wasn't, and they kept the camera on him too, which is so, it was so bad. It's not like they've not done that spot before. Like, I've seen the Edge and Rey Mysterio do it before. Rey Mysterio does a springboard. Edge catches him with a spear in midair. I think they were going for something similar. Right. It It just didn't go according to plan. But, I mean, Shane did deliver a pretty good spot where he did the uh, elbow drop to Braun Strowman through through the first table, and I think oh, that's Shane it. loved that spot. At, yeah, and that was a couple of years, and that left Strowman. Uh, that resulted in Strowman getting counted out for the most part. If it wasn't for Ellsworth holding his leg, right? But yeah, that, I think that was a pretty decent spot to look out for as well. Both the table spots were were definitely highlights of that match. Like it was, it was a showcase of who's who's at the top of each brand and the faces that they're trying to pull. Again, like SmackDown, they just rebranded uh, to the SmackDown Live, and they were showcasing this, like what you were saying earlier, David, like this stacked ass main event upper mid card scene that they had, and it, and everyone was presented in a way where it, they were cool as hell, and nobody was lesser than the other. Like you had Styles, the guy that was doing TNA and the, or New Japan, all that shit. And then like 
Ambrose, Orton, Wyatt. Uh, you had all these dudes this being cool as hell. And then you put them in a match like this. And I think it was incredibly smart to have them go over. Rollins and Reigns didn't need that. Mm-hmm. Or, or Owens and Jericho didn't need that. Strowman didn't need that. They all everybody looked good. No one looked bad, and I mean Roman looked bad by accident. But like it was like again, I was just an accident. Stuff like that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think this match it it did it did its purpose. I thought they executed it. It, well. it was good to see, it was good to see the late Brody Lee, aka Luke Harper, come out for the last little bit as well, and just sort yep. of celebrating with. The, the the Wyatt family as a whole. So I think that was a nice nice spot to have. I think Reigns had a bit of interaction with him on the outside as the, the last man standing for Raw. Yes. What I'm most disappointed is that they, they didn't capitalize on the full Wyatt family arc all the way to WrestleMania. Because I think you could have had a, a triple threat between Wyatt, Orton, and Harper for the WWE title at that year's Mania. Just yeah. like you could have had... Jericho versus Owens to the Universal title, but no, they had to. Vince had to have his wet dream of Brock Lesnar Goldberg. That was that's what main events at this show. Mm-hmm. And it lasted ninety seconds. Yeah, if that, Jesus. There's a lot of jokes to be made there about lasting ninety seconds, but we've been here for over an hour and a half, and now we need to move into the most important part of the show. If we were to put all four of these matches on an actual tape. We say what match would we put first, and you know what what order would we put these matches in? What match would go first? What match would go last? So, Dave, I'll go to you first since you've done this before in the last show. What would you, which of these four matches would you put first, and where would you put the others on our tape? See, this is a tricky one because the endings of each kind of make it a little bit tricky. Because I'd want to put. If you want to talk about a controversial finish, it'd be, it makes sense to put the screw job last. But I think if we're just going to do the matches itself rather than what happened afterwards, I would actually start with the Survivor Series elimination match, the five on five. Okay. You know, a great, if it was a Survivor Series type show, I'd want to start off with one of the matches namesakes for sure and then i'd probably finish with the elimination chamber like obviously because it was a first time thing for 2002 and it just had another really good story arc about it you know a couple of missteps here and there but both these matches had great storytelling about them but just because a match goes the distance uh, it's difficult to, to put it you know in a main event spot but I think out of the four, I'd start with the traditional five-on-five and then finish with the Elimination Chamber. And what what order order would you put the other two in? Uh, Then the Cena Triple H, Shawn Michaels is second, and then Shawn Michaels, Brett on third. All right. Oh, wow. So you get a little bit of controversy before the the main event, which then ends on a feel-good note. Right, right. Right. Yeah, right. again, it, it, it's a it's a tricky one, but oh, it's no, and like I, I'm not trying to dog on yours. Like I'm, I'm trying to. You trying to do the same? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to how to go about this. You know, if I was to give this wrestling mixtape to somebody, and I'm like, watch these matches in order, 
as, as I give them to you. I'm trying to, to determine the, my own criteria. Cause I like how you said it, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you start off with how survivor series was always built right with the, with the five on five. But at the same time for me and knowing how I, I do stuff, I want to start high. And to me, you know what? Screw it. So I'm going to say, um, I start with the elimination chamber. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to start with the elimination chamber solely because it is like, I mean, it's history, you know, the first elimination chamber at the survivor series namesake and at all five, all four of these shows, they emphasize that it's all about survival. Oh, it's all survival. Like they do all this whole thing. Right. I'm going to start with elimination chamber. My second match, I'm going to put the, the triple threat, uh, yeah, so HBK, Triple H, and Cena. After that, I'm going to put Montreal Screwjob and then end with the traditional five-on-five. Five. And yes. And, but I've, I'm going back and forth on trading my three and four. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking now. So that, that's, my, that's my four. That's my four. I'd, uh, I'd end with the five-on-five five as well. Originally, I was going to put the Elimination Chamber right before it, but instead, I think, because well, it's two very long matches, I don't want to put them so close together, because like, one of them is nearly 40 minutes, the other one's just over 50. So I'm going to start with uh, start with Cena versus DX, then the Elimination Chamber, then Brett versus Sean, because really, you can play it off as saying, watch the Elimination Chamber, and then... Like, see how far Sean came from. This is what he was used to be like, you know, uh, when you watch the 97 one and then getting to round it off with the namesake of the of the baby a traditional Survivor Series match. See, that's why I would put the chamber after the Montreal screw job because at least the triple threat, you know, it's a bit more modern. You can see what he was like towards the, the tail end of his career. Then you see what he's like at the beginning, almost like a prequel. And then you see his, his comeback story. So and it ends on a feel good note where he's he's effectively born again and you know it's his first official match back since that at Survivor Series since that infamous screw job moment. So that that was my thinking behind it. And I think what better way to kick off a, a Survivor Series themed mixtape by having a, a classic traditional elimination match to get you going. That mm-hmm. that that's just my logic behind it. I and I totally and honestly I agree with your logic. Like I think what you're saying, David, is correct in every in every way I can say that. And I I want honestly I'd probably give someone your mixtape before mine, but <laughs> solely why why I'm sticking with mine is just like um, you know this. If I'm gonna give you four matches and the four matches that we have presented, like it's some barn burners, some fun storytelling, and some pivotal things in not even just WWE in pro wrestling history. Like if we're going to frame it from the Shawn Michaels perspective of things and David, you nailed it on the face 100%. But like, to me, it's more so like elimination chamber barn burner match, a fun ass action packed match. You go to this, another, this story driven match with a triple threat. And you see two of the guys that you just saw in the elimination chamber. And then you work your way backwards, go into the Montreal screw job and seeing this pivotal piece of wrestling history, and then you end it with how Survivor Series 
should be how it's always been the elimination five on five with a lot of guys who are still relevant in pro wrestling. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense as well. You know, but I, I like, but I like yours too. Yeah, no, I I can see where you're coming from about you know the traditional five on five being a main event because that's what his Survivor Series is all about. And if it wasn't for Goldberg Lesnar, I think that match should have definitely have main evented 2016's show because, like I said, it just had everything on offer from storytelling to action to surprises to some flashbacks and just the making of new stars in general. It was. It just had everything you could ask for. So if that, I can see why you'd want that to main event your mixtape. Scott, I hope yeah. I didn't influence your your mixtape too much. No, no, I was always going to end with start with your one, and potentially I was going back and forth between the chamber and the Survivor Series match, but it wasn't until we were talking about when I had to go back and watch, and I realized like God, there's there's two very long matches out of these four that we need to talk about, but. You know, opinions are all subjective. Our opinions may not be the same as those listening. So do make sure you let us know what you think about these matches. What order would you put them on your wrestling mix? So let us know at SuperHeatRetreat on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at SuperHeatRetreat or on our Facebook Retreat community page. I don't know when we're going to be back. It may be sometime in late January, maybe February time. So we'll be back with an all new theme for wrestling mixtape. And I look forward to eventually, maybe someday in the future. We'll have a show where all four of us are here. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? And I hope it's the Royal Rumble next time because there's definitely a few from that pay-per-view yeah. that I could pick out easily. Rumbles that aren't Rumbles? Like Rumble matches that aren't Rumbles themselves? Just throwing it out there? Ooh. Cause, yeah, because like... Like, I don't want to talk about four fucking Royal Rumbles. Like, I'm not, <laughs> right. not sensitive to four go Rumbles. Let's entrant by entrant. All right. Royal, Rumble paper, Royal Rumble matches that aren't the Royal Rumble match itself. Awesome. I already got a few candidates in my head. But... I already had them one that popped into my brain. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. let's, all, let's all confuse Stephen when he next checks the, the group chat and just put all of our suggestions like, Wait, what are we doing? Yeah, we've decided this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to start spamming it right now. But you can stay tuned for that and everything else coming on, on Eat, Sleep, So Retreat by following us on social media. You can also go in the back and like, watch the first episode of WrestleMania Day as well as all the other great shows we've got going on. We've got East Star Central every Thursday. We've got future shows like It's Still Real to Me, Damn It, where we look at a, a episode of a wrestling documentary. We look, we've got profiles. We've got Book It and Quiz Showdown have moved to the audio field, but the latest quiz showdown is also available in video form. That is the Star Wars edition, hosted by myself. And also we got the great Saturday Draft Live, which just celebrated 150 episodes once you're listening to this. <laughs> and oh, oh, indeed. And we also have East Meets West where me and Grant are have a busy end of year ahead of us because this is where New Japan really stacks up their their content. So we've got all that good stuff to look forward to as we round out twenty twenty two. But we thank you for listening. I thank my panel. Thank you, David Hockney. I thank you. And thank you, Chris Lopez, for being awake enough to do this show with us. Um, I am eternally grateful. Thank you for doing this on one of my days off. <laughs> You're welcome. And to all of you, thank you. And hopefully you enjoy this year's Survivor Series. Goodbye. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz 
We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.